then you can go in and read like. Hello, my name is David Hong and welcome to the Great Design Lead Podcast. I'm a head of design investor and writer. Right now I work at Webflow and we are on a mission to bring development superpowers to everyone. Perfect intro. Look at you. <laughs> I tried, tried. I wanted to go one for one. So. Thank you so much for making time for me today. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. I've been learning so much about you and uh, listening to a bunch of podcasts that you've been on before. And I don't know, I'm just really excited to get to know you as a person. Yeah, this has been my favorite part about your podcast as a as a listener is just kind of getting to know the humans a little bit. I think so much, so many podcasts are about like, what do you do for work? And you focus on that. It's just really nice to get to know the people. And in fact, like your previous guests, I've been able to get to, I feel like I've been able to get to know them just from, from listening to this. So thank you. I think it's quite interesting that I just hang out and talk with people that about their lives, but it just happens that a lot of them are design people. It's kind of just like a, a coincidence. <laughs> yeah. Designers kind of, um, designers kind of stay close together for sure. <laughs> I made a friend and they were saying, uh, how do you know all these people? How do you know this person? You keep on talking to all these people. How did you meet them? I'm like, oh, web design. He's like, why is that your answer for everything? <laughs> like, how did you meet your friend web design? It's all interconnected. Yep. <laughs> um, so, so David, I want to know when you were a little kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? Do you want the true answer? Yeah. Okay. So I wanted to be a dinosaur. <laughs> really? <laughs> and then my mom was like, you can't be a dinosaur. And I'm like, <laughs> Why not? Dinosaurs are awesome. I want to be one. And I think that was the beginning of my, I kind of consider myself like a big dreamer, but also pragmatic too. And I think that you can't be a dinosaur moment was just kind of like an instigator of like, just how I think about the world too. Uh, you know, dreaming big, but being pragmatic. And, you know, when I learned you can't be a dinosaur yet, you know, maybe in the future. <laughs> I always wanted to be an artist of some sort. You know, mm -hmm. I think I, the early days of my life, I remember like drawing before I remembered walking or, or crawling. So I think like, um, you know, just being able to make stuff was basically what was what I wanted to aspire. And I honestly had no idea what that meant or like where it would lead me, but just knew that's what I wanted to do because I think it was the one thing that I felt that act of like drawing and creating like loved me back. Um, I wasn't great at math. Uh, math didn't love me and, you know, some of this other stuff, but like it's always kind of been from the very beginning, I honestly kind of knew what I wanted to be doing. Right? I didn't know what it meant as a job, but I knew what I wanted to do. What kind of stuff did you draw at that age? Um, I would draw just, I would just draw anything, you know, I think would, um, I used to watch a lot of like, cartoons growing up, read a lot of comic books. So, you know, I think, uh, I remember going through my uncle's stash of Spider-Man comics and all <laughs> these other ones and just try to copy, right. Try to trace and, and then ended up making my own, but that's what I would draw a lot. And, um, you know, as I, um, got older, and kind of develop more as an artist. I, I did a lot of portraiture. So I've always been really? like really connected with, um, you know, humans and, and stories. Yeah. Actually, 
you know, fast forward is I, I went to art school and studied oil painting um, for for a very long time. So, you know, it always kind of started with like this human connection for me. I remember reading that your mom encouraged you to draw a lot. Yeah. I honestly don't know why. Maybe it's just something, you know, my parents are Vietnamese refugees. And I think um, I was born here. Uh, my brother was born at a refugee camp in Indonesia. So he has dual citizenship. So he's an Indonesian and American citizen. Mm-hmm. And I think a thing that my parents kind of had the mindset of is just kind of like, you know, whatever they can do for the kids to kind of pursue like what they really want to do, they they encouraged it. So I think that's where like drawing was something that, you know, my parents always supported because they knew it was something that I, I love to do. Can you tell me a bit about your parents, about your mom and your dad? Yeah. Um, where to start? Um, Anywhere. We have so much time. Yeah. So, like I said, my, my parents are both from Vietnam. Uh, they're refugees of the war. Um, and, you know, when they came to the United States, like I mentioned, my mom was pregnant with my brother, you know, had him along the way and then uh, came here to the United States. You know, my mom grew up in Saigon, which is a very urban area. And my dad's from the country. Uh, and they've always been an odd couple, too. And, uh, you know, they didn't they didn't have an arranged marriage, but the families knew each other from like a very long time. So my grandpa, my father's father, uh, was in the military. So he was like a colonel in, in the army. And when he would go into the city, um, my grandma, my mother's mom, owned a bed and breakfast. So like a B&B, right? Not, not an Airbnb, but just <laughs> your classic place for people to stay. So my grandpa would always would stay there quite, quite often. And they've, they became friends uh, just throughout the years. And, uh, you know, they kind of had this suggestion of like, yeah, you know, you have a, you have a daughter, I have a son, like, you know, why don't we match them? So, you know, it's not an arranged marriage in like the sense of other cultures, but it was just like, like extreme parental matchmaking is how I describe it. And, uh, you know, they ended up getting married. It was uh, heavily encouraged. Yes. yes. Strongly <laughs> encouraged. Yeah. What, they were what voluntold. Was... <laughs> they were voluntold. I love that phrase. I have a cousin and at his work, he said, I was voluntold to do this at work today. And I was like, that's a perfect phrase. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's exactly that's, how it feels like. <laughs> I feel it. I feel it for sure. <laughs> and so, uh, so did they know each other like as kids? They did. Yeah. I honestly can't tell you like at what age they knew each other, but they did, you know, and I think my dad is, um, you know, a few years older than my mom. So, you know, they're acquaintances. What was life in Vietnam like at that time for them? I guess for your mom, it's a different experience in the city versus your dad in the country. I mean, it was tough for sure. So like my mom grew up in the city and her father, my grandpa, was in the Vietnamese army during the French occupation. 
So I'm going to best and articulate the history of it without like, I'm not an expert in the history of the, you know, the French occupation and, and, and the war itself. But, you know, like my mom kind of grew up in a time where, you know, the city was always occupied by someone. Mm-hmm. And then this was before, you know, the Vietnam War itself. My dad yeah, lived out in the country and, you know, he comes from a family of about nine siblings. So really large family. Uh, and they lived in like a really tiny, it's almost like a hut, right? It's almost like, you know, the size of something where like we would consider like going glamping. But this was like where like a full family um lived and grew up so yeah he grew up in a more uh rural upbringing so my my family's catholic and uh he was gonna go to the seminary really yeah so he was gonna he was studying to be a priest and then uh just throughout his childhood so he went to like basically like the equivalent of like what a catholic school is here you know just Mm -hmm. um like a seminary school i guess um and then he got drafted um for the war Mm-hmm. At what age? Roughly, was, I think like uh, eighteen or nineteen. Eighteen. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. a that's a baby. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's okay. I could. I was. I was very different at a different point in my life at eighteen. Let's just say it, say that. Yeah, I don't know. Sometimes you think you know everything at 18 and then you get a little bit older you're like oh my gosh I was such a baby and then you think about I don't know a lot of people having a ton of responsibility at 18 and it's just it just seems seems a little crazy to me sometimes yeah it's like have you seen the these I've seen people post like video clips of like high school students in the 80s and everyone <laughs> looks like they're 30 years old you know and like it's the clothes isn't it it's the clothes it's the yeah. clothes I think it's the clothes it's the responsibilities and like the things that you were meant to do right because I think about that a lot I'm just like wow like when I was my dad's age um I feel like I was at such a different spot in in my life and I'm sure the next generation feels that way too uh you know with 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 people our age too so it's just really interesting um, I wish, I think one thing I want to do for sure is like, you can probably tell from this conversation, like there's a lot of pieces where I think I'd love to kind of write down like some of these actual milestones of like, you know, when these things happen and have like a true family timeline. Uh, so much of it has just been told to me like through like bedtime stories and dinner conversations. So I kind of have a range of like, I know this happened at this point uh, and don't know where, but I'd love someday to like maybe do like a podcast with my parents and like really kind of document that. That'd be such a gem to have. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah, It'd be such a gift. Yeah. And especially like with the quality of mic that you have, like to really get their, their voices and especially when they're telling these stories and like the emotion of not entirely reliving it but like telling you really this like this is what my life was like and i don't know it wasn't 2023 at that time it was a totally different world yeah and i i think about that a lot too it's like if something happened to my parents you know and you know there's going to be a time where you know they move on the only thing i have is like my memories right so how do i capture that Mm. now how do i capture those memories with them right now in this moment too so what what was your dad's life like 
from 18 on. If you don't want to retell it or re- relive it or anything, you don't have to tell me, but like, I was just curious. No, no, totally. Um, no, happy to share. Both my dad and my mom, the way I just described it is, you know, they've, they've been survivors their entire life. And that's what they've really found purpose and focus on. You know, I think my brother and I are so fortunate where we have two parents who, who love us so much, like, like literally would love us to death. You know, I think a lot about what my parents had to do, what they had to become and, and can't help but wonder like some of the things they missed out on, you know? So I think this is why, you know, both my brother and I, they're retired now. We're like, we need to take you on vacation. Like, let's go to Hawaii. Let's go to all the places that you never like got to do because you kind of had to forego like so much of your early adulthood for us. So I think like, you know, I think that's kind of how I summarize it with my parents is like, you know, they, they, they were so much in survival mode their entire life. And I think that's something that kind of passed on to my brother and I, in just terms of like the mindset that we have in life and uh, just kind of like how we find uh, moments to appreciate that. But yeah, I think it was really like, you know, for my dad getting drafted, um, you know, he also was in a POW camp for several years too, um, you know, towards the tail end of the war. So him and my grandpa were in prison for um, several years. Um, my grandpa longer than my dad, but I think, you know, after that, then, um, you know, he got married to my mom and then it was kind of time to be like, you know, getting out of the country for them and then kind of made the trip over to the United States and just really trying to live in this completely new world for them. So, yeah, I think, um, uh, so much of it is just becoming something because you had to. And that's mm-hmm. how I would summarize like the, the life of my, my parents. Like you don't have another choice. Like this is just what you have to do right now and there's no way out of it. So the only way to go is forward. Yeah. Yeah. There's no choice. You know, I remember my mom telling me the story because, you know, like that bed and breakfast I told you about, like when Saigon fell during the war, they had to leave their house. And it was like that moment where my grandmother um, told my mom's like, get everything you can in your hand and, and we're we're leaving. Like we have to leave the house. Uh, because, um, you know, it's it getting taken over. And I think, I think they, uh, that, that summarizes it so much. It's like, there is no choice. You have to do this and you have to do this now is so much of like what they went through. There's something that's so beautiful about people who have been through incredibly hard things that you, as a person who hasn't gone through that, can't really understand or empathize with because you don't, know what that's like but then this person is so kind and so loving to everybody that you're like you you went through so much hardship and and you have so many reasons to be angry at people and yet you're so kind to all of these people that are around you and I I was reading something you wrote about your mom and just talking about how she was so loving to everyone and she was the kind of lady that would uh you thought 
loved other people's kids more than the parents loved their kids yeah. <laughs> and would stop by just to say hello to pets and things like that. Oh and I thought that was like such a beautiful person. I mean, th- that's my mom in a nutshell. Like anyone who's met my mother uh, knows that um, if you have a pet, you have a cat or a dog, uh, I always joke, like, you need to be careful because my mom might steal your pet because she loves, <laughs> she loves animals. Um, she loves kids and people. And I think this is something I've been reflecting a lot. And what you said is just like, you know, we it's a double-edged sword, too, because I think we've gone through a lot of hardships in respective ways. Like, these past three years have been not, not easy, you know? And then I think... Um, you know, there's two things that kind of come to mind for this is like, one is like, I think um, I've been reading a lot more about like family trauma and how that gets passed um, to the next generation. And I remember always having like, you know, I, uh, I'm Vietnamese and and Catholic. So it's like double guilt, like, you know, like <laughs> the, the amount of guilt that you feel <laughs> is just like amplified in that upbringing. And I think, um, you know, a lot of times when I would go through a hardship, I would say like, you know, my house didn't get bombed and ha- had to evacuate. Like I didn't spend time in a POW camp. Like who am I to complain about like that? I don't like my job or like this thing is boring. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think the thing you got to be mindful of too, is just that like, you don't, I think it's about having that empathy and just like using that as a way of to have gratitude, but you can't beat yourself up to then like, neglect some of the hardships you're going yourself too, right? So like with COVID, with like the last three years, it's a different type of hardship, but it's still valid. It's like, you know, I think I read, uh, I read briefly on Twitter, you know, there was this post that's like, studies show that like, no one was like mentally affected by the pandemic. And I'm like, what are you, what are you talking about? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think that's something too, it's just like, I think the first piece is just like, being able to give yourself grace and and to not kind of compare like what you go through as hardships versus like others. And it's usually like a generational comparison, right? And I think the second part, which is really, uh, you know, I, I, I was reflecting on this the other day and, you know, I'd, I'd say if there was like one thing I learned from my parents is that like, you have to find those moments of joy to like laugh and have that connection with your friends and loved ones, no matter what's going on in the world. Because, you know, for them, like, they still had to go play with their friends during a war. They still had to have a meal with their loved ones and continue just, like, enjoying life, despite how hard it could have been. And I think that's, like, the one thing I will take take to the grave, you know, with um, um, what I learned from my parents is that, like, you know, both that um, acknowledge your own hardships and what you're dealing with today and that they're real. And then also like finding those moments of appreciation because life doesn't stop, right? It just keeps going. So you need to uh, find ways to be present and just to kind of be continuous in it. When you were talking about your dad and your grandfather being at the POW camp for that many years and then reconnecting with your mom afterwards and then getting married, I can only imagine what it what it's like to just be totally like taken out of your life for that period of time. 
And then I'm imagining him like moving countries and like starting a new life somewhere else. It just seems like a like an insane change of environment, change of everything. I don't know if I'm explaining this well, but it just seems like you're living multiple lives and it just seems like a, a lot for somebody to process in, in one lifetime. Totally. I I can't imagine what that would be like. And, you know, I think a thing that's funny is my mom will always say that she wasn't into my dad when she first met him because she was like, I'm not into guys with glasses and guys kind of out from kind of where my dad's from in the country. And he, he was both. Right. So the two <laughs> things that she wasn't into, he like, he like checked the boxes in the unfortunate way. But I think the thing that I kind of hold this belief is that I think my, my parents, my parents learned to love each other because of like what they went through. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they've been married for like, multiple decades now uh you know and live a happy life but i think it was something they had to learn to do through adapting through surviving through this new world uh together and i think um you know the stories i hear from my parents is like when they first got to the united states um so they kind of did the um like vietnam to indonesia to the refugee camp and then they mm-hmm. were kind of you know, once they got cleared, they went to Alaska and then really? Los Angeles. Yeah, then Los Angeles, which is where like a lot of my extended family is from. But um, you know, I grew up in Washington State in like southwest Washington and most of my adult life in Seattle. But my dad's like high school friend was living up there. So, you know, they moved up and you know, my parents lived with them for a while. And I remember my dad telling me that like, at first he was so terrified just to like walk down the street because he just didn't know what it was like to live in a city where, uh, you know, there wasn't like any like combat going on or just that. So just even being able to like walk down the street was something that he was just kind of like really hesitant about at first. And yeah, I think, um, you know, to be able to adapt to that, I, I can't imagine what it's like. And what decade was this? The 80s. So they came the here 80s. in 1980. Yeah. So funny story. Um, they came here, and then when they got to Washington State, uh, and I think it was around the spring, probably May, I think a few weeks later, uh, Mount St. Helens erupted. So they're like, oh, my God, like, where, why did we come here? <laughs> like, like, there's volcanoes and like other things, too. So it's just, uh, you know, it's just funny. You know, they got settled, settled in and then like that happened. So I always I always laugh at that. Was everything OK? Yeah, they lived in an area where it was mainly like just a lot of ash and, and yeah. dust, you know, because it was a big eruption. So it's just even in like Cowlitz County, like uh, the rivers there were flooded with ash and you'd get like a, you know, just a lot of like smoke just, just from that. But yeah, like everyone was relatively safe, but it's definitely something. Um, the impact of it was felt for, for some time. And the transition of being in a city like Los Angeles, that's a, a culture shock for, I don't know, like a girl from Orfield to go to, Orfield, Pennsylvania is where I'm from. But like it like it'd be a culture shock for like, I don't know, somebody from like Springfield, Missouri to go to Los Angeles. But like it's even more f- what your parents were going through because there's a totally different thing 
it wasn't going from like a boring little town. It was going from a really bad situation to yeah. Los Angeles. Yeah. I often wonder like for my mom, since she was from a big city, if it felt like more, more familiar than for my dad, but definitely for my dad, it was like, it would be like the Springfield, Missouri to, to LA sort of transition. So can you tell me a bit about the transition from, from Vietnam to Indonesia? Yeah. Secondhand storytelling for sure. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, it was, um, it was dangerous. What they had to do was, I think if you kind of read in history, it's kind of sort of moment often referred to the boat people. And what they did was because in order to get to the United States, like the refugee camp was in Indonesia. I think there's probably like other camps and like, you know, other places like the Philippines too, but they basically took boats and these aren't like cruise ships, right? These are like boats that are like glorified rafts and they had to sail, you know, from Vietnam to Indonesia to get to the refugee camp. And it took days to get there. And, you know, each one would pack like 20 to 30 people. So you're like sleeping on top of each other just to kind of get through, you know, no navigation. It was kind of like you just kind of start pushing the boat, start paddling, you know, forward and and hope you get to the island. So the group was like my mom, my dad, a couple of other relatives, but also like my aunt who um, is... She was, I think she was like five years old at the time, five or six. Had to and go. how old was your mom? She was probably in her, um, probably early twenties. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of the boats didn't make it though. It was a leap of faith, you know, and just kind of hoping that you could get there. But, you know, there's definitely like a lot of people who didn't, who didn't make it and ended up drowning. And, and the alternative for staying at home was just not something that they could have even fathomed doing. And that's why this leap of faith was so worth it. Yes. I think for them, um, it was to escape, you know, what would be the communist uh, occupation. And, you know, one thing I've learned is like, it's a, it's a loaded topic, right? There's a lot of different perspectives. And I think, um, You know, and I remember in the news, remember a few years ago when people were evacuating uh, Kabul and Afghanistan, like my mom kind of, I think they probably had some triggering moments of just like what that felt like. You know, it was definitely politically charged, but I would say, you know, um, know, my my parents are from the South and they were... um, you know, they didn't want to live in a communist regime. So for them, that was the option to, to, you know, to go somewhere else versus, versus stay. And those mm-hmm. were, you know, presumably that's why a lot of the people, um, you know, wanted to, um, to get out of there. I remember when I was talking with Vlad about his family leaving Russia, I said something so dumb. And I remember it like to this day where uh, his family was leaving and I said something like, so, like, were you able to sell your home before you left? Like, would, would, would you be able to take some of that valuable, like, I don't know, take some money with you? And then he kind of paused and looked at me and he said, like, sell to who? Like, what are you talking about? 
<laughs> you, you when you're in that situation, there, there, there's nobody to sell it to. Like that's that doesn't make any sense. We we just had to leave it behind and go to a different country and start a new life. And I was so didn't have that life experience that I just I asked a dumb question like that. But now I know. <laughs> well, it's interesting. Yeah, it's like. It's one of those things, it's almost like surreal to even think that it's something possible that someone had to go through, right? So I think, you know, probably so many moments, even for myself, you know, being like the child of refugee parents and not living through that myself, like otherwise probably would not have known too. I remember um, I had a manager of mine at some point in my career who uh, you know, came to the United States from Kuwait. And he said when he was a kid, like he came here through like a shipping container to kind of get into the the country. So it's just like, yeah, it's just, there's so much things that humans have to endure across areas in this world. I think we take so much for granted that it's like, uh, you know, it's probably like, you know, the question you asked is kind of like, you know, what we we know what we know. And then when you kind of learn about that, I think it's that's that's how it kind of creates like, um, you know, the fact that you even asked that kind of helps kind of create that that empathy and that like that learning and connection of like you know what what other people go through. Mm-hmm. And your mother was pregnant with your older brother at this time. Yeah. 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 And so so they make it. It was how many? Like a couple of days, like three or four days. I think a couple of days, yeah, yeah. To, to get over there. I can't remember how long they were at the refugee camp for. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they were just there till it was cleared, but, you know, definitely had my brother there. And then, um, you know, then once it, they got, got clearance to come to the United States, they, you know, they flew, they flew over, but it was just to Alaska. Like, yeah. I think Alaska was like a quick, like <laughs> hop and a skip. To, to so I, I I honestly don't know how long they were there for. It could have been like a layover for what I know. Okay. I don't know. I've never been to Alaska. That would be such a, a shock. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's such a yeah. different place. <laughs> I don't know if they've ever seen snow, right? Like yeah. 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 It's like it's it's different. Oh my gosh. Your brother is born in, in Indonesia and then um is he there for some time before? coming to America and being cleared a very small. So I think by the time, like he basically, he grew up in the United States. So I would say he'd only be like a few months old. Gotcha. Gotcha. If that. And so, uh, and so you guys grew up in uh, like Seattle, like Washington area. Yeah. So I grew up in a small city in Southwest Washington Mm -hmm. called Longview. Um, there is a Green Day song about it. Uh, really? Yeah. And uh, <laughs> it's a very blue collar uh, place. Like it's, it's main industry is like paper mills. And, uh, and again, the reason we ended up there is my dad's like uh, h- high school friend was, was living there. So it was someone we knew. Uh, but it was, yeah, it was closer to Portland, Oregon than it was Seattle. So it was just like, just right, right on the water there um but yeah grew up there until i turned 18 and 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 went to college so one place what was a childhood like there it was okay um yeah. it was you know it's one of those cities where it's like 
not too exciting, you know, not, not much happens, but I do think like most of my childhood in the memories I have is like playing outside in the yard, like playing video games with my brother and my aunt and having like cousins and uh, friends come over. Um, I think um, we were definitely homebodies. And I think again, you know, it was probably psychologically ingrained in my parents just to keep us sheltered at home, just to be safe. Uh, so nothing would happen to us. So I think again, just kind of having that, that perpetual survivors mindset that kind of, um, was kind of ingrained in us growing up, but yeah, um, lived in the small house. Um, my poor aunt had to share a room with my brother and I, when she was going to high school. Really? Uh, Cause it was a two bedroom. My aunt was living with us until the one who was like a five-year-old kid when she came here. And I could not imagine being a high school girl, like growing up and having to like share a room with like two little boys too. That must've yeah. been a, a nightmare. Like your relationship with her, was it a little bit like a sibling relationship or was more like a aunt relationship? Yeah, it's a good question. I think it was, it's a little bit of both, to be okay. honest. Yeah, yeah. So in a lot of ways, you know, she kind of felt like our sister. But I think, um, you know, in Vietnamese culture, too, it's very, like, role-oriented. Mm. And, you know, like, in fact, like, in you know, for any family name or role in Vietnamese culture, there's, like, you know, there's a phrase for your aunt on your mom's side. There's a phrase for like your aunt on your mom's side, who's younger and one who's older. And it's like, very, so I think because of that structure, I always knew uh, we always saw her as our aunt, you know, because mm. of that. But if it wasn't for that, yeah, probably felt more like, uh, like a sister relationship. Mm -hmm. And so she was five years older than your brother. And how many years older is your brother than you? Oh man, I got to do the math with, Again, my my timelines are a little bit off, so I think. No um, worries. Uh, yeah, but I can't remember. She must have been older than now that I think about it. But, um, my I know how older my brother is three years older than me. I know that. Gotcha. Sure. <laughs> so you guys are are uh more or less within ten years of each other. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, because yeah, when I um was a freshman in high school, he was a senior. Gotcha. Okay. What kind of guy is your brother? What was his personality like growing up? Oh man, uh, <laughs> what's his name? He his name is Dan, his name is Daniel. Daniel uh, and David. Yep. Yep. Okay. Um, pre pretty easy. Um, <laughs> I feel like I feel like we could do a whole another podcast on this, but I think for my brother, um, you know, I think there's a lot of responsibility as an older sibling in a lot mm -hmm. of Asian cultures, and I think he always felt like he needed to become that adult because it's like, you know, in a way I almost, my brother almost had to be a dad to me. Mm. I know that sounds silly for someone being just three years older, but because of this, this new world that my parents didn't know, my brother was kind of the one who grew up with me and with it. So he kind of always had this responsibility of like taking care of me too and he was very um very stoic uh and just really you know wanted to he wasn't very emotional 
He always hmm. kind of kept 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 to himself and was very stoic. Where I totally was, I was like, knew how I felt. You know, it's like the the bratty little little brother in a lot of ways. I know. Just having feelings doesn't make you dramatic. <laughs> yeah. No, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And what kind of things was he interested in as a kid? Aside from being the babysitter. <laughs> yeah. Um, we were interested in a lot of things. So, you know, we, again, you know, have a lot of fun memories of just watching like, uh, you know, after school and Saturday morning cartoons with, with my brother. Um, and I know my dad was, he was an early adopter in technology. Like he didn't use it himself, but you know, he bought us a, computers we grew up with the commodore 64 and like uh you know eventually got more computers and this is probably like where like a big inflection point in life with my brother and i is you know we're um of the age of growing up before the internet and grew up with the internet in, in a lot of ways so i think uh you know we were just really interested in technology and uh you know just like yeah playing games and other stuff my brother was really into uh sci-fi so i remember i'd always watch uh star trek the next generation with him watch the reruns that. as you do as one does as I still do. <laughs> that's funny when you were a little kid you kind of had an idea of what you wanted to be when you grew up but kind of like maybe middle school age um did that change at all still within within art or did were there other things along the way that you had your mind on yeah still art I would say like in middle school so I I played basketball um growing up like elementary middle and some high school uh and I think you know everyone has that dream of like I'm going to be a professional basketball player and I think there was that too so there was a time where I would say if you talked about like my middle and high school years it was like a bit of everything because I was the kid hung out with the jocks and played sports um but I also like hung out with the goth kids and like, <laughs> everybody and anybody you know it's just one of those like athletes who like took art classes and did, did did everything um you know took humanities classes and like really loved uh, English and, and writing. But I think, again, that sort of creative connection was something I still wanted to pursue. But I think, um, I feel like we did so many things just because my parents wanted us to, like, stay out of trouble. So, like, hey, if they, if they play basketball, <laughs> he plays basketball, you can't, like, get into, like, bad stuff, you know? So we'll yeah. just keep them busy, uh, you know? So I did that. Like, we used to do uh, martial arts, so we studied taekwondo, Really? And then also oil painting, too. So it's just kind of like just everything. What was your first introduction at oil painting? Yeah, it was when I was like 12 years old or so. You know, we, the the studio next to the Taekwondo, like, uh, studio was a art studio. So really, they, yeah. And again, you know, I think my parents were like, okay, let's just sign them up for everything. Just <laughs> keep, them, keep them busy. So, uh, yeah, but that was my, um, my, my first instructor, her name was Chris and, you know, she taught like kind of oil painting, acrylic, 
in other things. And I think that's kind of like what really kind of like really solidified more of the creative side for me. It was just like, uh, you know, making art and painting. I grew up watching a lot of Bob Ross too. You know, really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Every, every day for sure. That's such a soothing voice. <laughs> such a nice thing to add yeah. to your day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very therapeutic. My mom used to, or my, my parents used to sign me up for all of these things all the time too. Like people would ask me, uh, so what sports did you do growing up? And like everything, every year it was a new thing. Yeah. They just wanted me to do something so that I would just like be occupied and, and I don't know, get my energy out, whether it was softball, basketball, volleyball, soccer, painting, drawing, cartooning, like all that kind of stuff. So I, I very much get that from the, the parents side too. Hundred percent. You know, one thing I realized now that I have friends who like have kids, it's just like I realize how much more nap time is actually probably for the adults as much as the kids. <laughs> just be like, let's wear this kid out, so then we can finally like take a break. Yeah, I, um, when I when I would nanny, uh, it's not on the same level as being a parent at all. But like when I would nanny and I would be responsible for these kids for like six hours or eight hours or something like that, I'm like, the park is my favorite place. We're going to go to the park and you run, climb, jog, fight. I don't care. Just like get your energy out. <laughs> I'll appreciate that. <laughs> um, when you think back on like the, the kind of kid you were um, and, and as an adult now, do you think about um, a little bit of like what it was like to, to raise you from your parents' perspective? Yeah, I think about it a lot. I was not like, I was not an easy kid to raise, I'm sure. Like, I didn't get in like deep trouble, you know, but I think there was a lot of things where it was probably so hard for my parents to, um, to raise, I would say my brother and myself, but myself in particular. Just again, you know, this understanding of the new world and like why these things are important and like just being able to kind of provide those things and like why these things matter or not or why I thought it mattered. So, for example, you know, I was yeah. just thinking about this the other day. I was just like, I used to be really into like sneakers and shoes, right? Because playing basketball, I remember like, you know, kind of asking my mom, like, I gotta get these shoes. Um, you know, I can't get these like shoes from last year. Like all the kids are going to make fun of me. It's like, Oh, you know, you got the air Jordans from like, you know, 96 instead of like 97 or, or whatever. And it's just, like, you know, for someone like parents are like, why does it matter? Right. They're like, we, <laughs> we, we survived the war. We got here. Like, wh why do these new shoes matter? And I, th I'm sure it was something that was tough to even like, you know, understand why it's important. And I think, you know, as I'm older now, I'm just like, oh my goodness, I can't believe like those were the thing that mattered. But I think for like a lot of kids, it's just like really understanding what pressures they go through growing up, going to high school. So, you know, um, a lot of my cousins, so I have a lot of cousins in my family. A lot of them are younger too. So they're, a lot of them are Gen Z too. And, you know, for me, um, I always like to joke that I'm like the first millennial ever that was like 
made from like Gen X parts. So it's like, you know, so, so early that's like, all right, we'll figure out what millennials mean. But I think that's like, and then just remembering like what my cousins would complain about too. I'm just like, this is not a big deal. And then I realized like, you know, what they're describing to me, like as what they're going through in high school, is just kind of like, Oh my God, this is the stuff that I was complaining about too. Like it yeah. is a big deal. Right. It's like, like, it's just trying to kind of understand, like, again, you know, like I was saying how, you know, your hardships are valid. It's just almost like the things that the societal pressures you have is like so contextual to what you're going through too. And and to keep this this vague so that it's not about anybody in particular, um, if you want to talk about it, if if the thing that your parents didn't understand was like the shoes, they look the exact same. You, they're not falling apart. They're perfectly good shoes. They're just from a year ago and you, your, your feet didn't grow. You're fine. If that's the thing that they don't understand, what's something that, that you didn't understand about the generation after you? Oh man, there's, there's still a lot of trying to figure out about Gen Z. And, <laughs> and I say that with love, uh, you know, okay. like with my cousins. Cause I'm like, why do you write in all lowercase and like, you know, like, <laughs> and all, all this other stuff. But I, I think for me, um, you know, it's, it's interesting because like generations kind of like repeat itself too right because it's almost like boomer generations is like why didn't you know gen x like they're so soft and you know like we went through so much more hardships and i feel like it it passes down so i guess to answer your question i think like um i think the thing that I learned, and this is something I learned a lot about just like how I approach my work as, as a manager too, is that like purpose is viewed differently. Right. So I think like for me, a lot of people who are Gen Z may feel like they are not potentially defined by their careers or what they do for work, or they want to kind of find like a certain type of impact in what they do as work. They want like, you know, a certain type of environment and a certain expectation where I think like, you know, quite frankly, for me as and probably like a bunch of other burnt out millennials could be like, Oh, you know, we just, we just like, we had to deal with this. So you have to as well too. And that's not necessarily like the right way to look at it. Right. And I think like, if you want to be like a relevant leader you have to adapt right so i i remember like you know at, at some places you know prior to to webflow um you know managing people who are younger and just kind of understanding like what they're motivated by or like what they even think about as a career or anything else i was like oh i have to like educate myself on like what's important for a younger generation as opposed to try and fit like what i expect like a measure of success to be Mm -hmm. And I think that's like, you know, like you did a lot of sports too. So it's like, you know, like great, great coaches, like are able to kind of adapt to more modern, you know, modern things too, or kind of like a different way to play, like play, play basketball or, you know, play any, any type of game. And I think that adaptiveness was something that I learned a lot from like, uh, you know, having younger people on my team too, uh, that that's important. And I think that's kind of the biggest thing I, I kind of learned was like, okay, like they're going to go through something completely different than what I did. And that's okay. That's almost like when people choose a career or something like that, 
And some people, I remember in, in high school, the conversation between um, my friends and like the different cultural backgrounds that they grew up in, where um, one person would say, well, what do you want to do? Like, oh, I'm just going to go for the thing with the highest salary. I don't care if I don't like it or not. Like, that's my job. And my job isn't to enjoy it. A job is a job. I will just enjoy my time outside of the job. And then other friends would say, well, I want to do something that that uh, I'm going to enjoy every day that's like really meaningful to me. And if it's not meaningful to me, then I know I'm going to be unhappy. And then what is the point of the salary if I'm unhappy nine to five or more in a day? So it's just like totally different perspectives of looking at the same thing. And that's what just what I thought of when when you were telling me that. Yeah. I think about, did you have like a guidance counselor in high school that kind of like helped you figure out like what your career is? I, I feel like yeah. that was so stressful just to be like, what am I supposed to pick? Like, am I supposed <laughs> to kind of do, you know, like a certain career path? I think, you know, of course, like, um, growing up with, um, Vietnamese refugees, it's almost like, you know, go, go be a doctor, go be a pharmacist. Like, be a computer scientist, you know, and like study engineering and it's just like really trying to understand like, like how do you define success and like really figure that out? And I think, uh, you know, I think Gen Z is really cracked it and like really questioning like what that is and, and what's that, what's important. So I'd say that's like, a, you know, a big thing I've learned from, uh, you know, from, from that group of folks. Yeah. What were those guidance counselor conversations like for you in high school? You must have been like what 15, 16 when those yeah. conversations started. Oh, it was easy for me. Like I told yeah. you, it's just like I was just like, I'm gonna study art, you know. I'm like, I'm gonna go to college. Like, I don't know what I'm gonna do, but I'm gonna be an art major. And it mm -hmm. was just kind of like this continued will to do that without even understanding like <laughs> what it means. So you know, while like other uh, like classmates were like trying to figure out like what they wanted to do, I was just like, I don't know. I'm just gonna keep taking art classes and figure out where where it takes me. So I honestly didn't put much thought into it. <laughs> Probably should have, but I, I didn't. I think there's a difference between like being relaxed and not putting much thought into it, and being stressed and totally blocking it out. Yeah. What do you think was it for you? I think it was the former. Yeah. You know, I think, um, I don't know if you've read the creative act by Rick Rubin. Like it just came out. Oh, it's so good. It's like, uh, uh, you know, for those who don't know, like Rick Rubin's like a famous, like music producer, you know, he reflect, he represented beastie boys, which is like, my, my favorite group ever. And I think like the book is really talking about just like, how do you kind of ebb and flow with like creativity and like try not to force it and try not to stress it. And I think that's kind of like how I approached like art and my life in general too. I think, um, you know, my mom always described me as like the, the stress-free baby, right. Where my brother was born in a refugee camp just with so much going on. I was born in a hospital, right? Like the fact that I was even born in a hospital was just like such a privileged position compared to my brother in a small town where, you know, there is so much safety. So I think I, my mom always describes me as the one who just doesn't have a care in the world. And I think that was kind of it. Like, I don't, 
don't really stress that much, to be honest. And like, you know, people always say, of course you do. You got to stress about something. But I think that's the thing. It's like, I've always kind of taken this approach with my life of like, just seeing where it goes to and just kind of being open to that. I'm sure at the time it wasn't like intentional, right? But it was kind of like how I behaved. Over your life, do you think that that was a gift and a benefit to you? Having that perspective? Definitely. Yeah, I think, um, you know, and when I talk about my career and just like the things I've had the pleasure of doing, like I tell people all the time, and I sincerely mean this, is that I think a lot of my life is just like allowing serendipity to do its thing. And, you know, got lucky. And, you know, sometimes luck is just being able to identify like fortunate position you're in. And I think that's a lot of what happened to me too. It's just like, uh, you know, and I think what I wonder often, like what would have happened to me if I was like, okay, you know, I want to go to school. I want to get this degree because like the guidance counselor said this profession makes, you know, this much money and I should go pursue that. Like, what, what would that life be? You know, probably, can't say if it's better or worse, but it'd definitely be different. Yeah, I think that's a perfect word for it. Different. Yeah. Like the and, and reality. Yeah. I don't know. I, I When I look back on things in my life, I, I even if they're bad things, I'm like, oh, but it was so important to the development of the plot of my life. And I love the character development that I have now, so I wouldn't trade it for anything. But yeah, I don't know if it would be bad. But yeah, I think different is the perfect word for that. Yeah. And I think sometimes the things you think that are bad that happen to you eventually end up being the best thing that happened to you. Mm -hmm. So I tell this story all the time is, you know, once I graduated from college, it was during the recession of the 2010s. Mm -hmm. So, you know, unfortunately have a lot of experience with recessions. And I think, uh, you know, I was planning to take a gap year to get my master's and I got into uh, California college of the arts and uh, you know, and wanted to go university of Notre Dame. Those were like my two choices. Uh, but CCA was the one that I got accepted to, but the tuition was like an arm and a leg. And I decided not to go. And I remember having a lot of these conversations with my brother about it just to get some advice. Like, again, he's like the American father figure for me right here. And I was like, oh, man, like, I'm so devastated. Like, I really want to go. This is my dream. I want to teach at the university. And it was such a bummer. And, you know, as a result of that, I was like, okay, I need to do more freelancing or I need to kind of maybe pivot from art to design. And it happened to be the time when, like, you know, the iPhone came out and people were looking for, you know, anyone who knew how to use Photoshop to, like, really create these very skeuomorphic UIs and, uh, you know, ended up like pivoting towards that. And, you know, that was kind of a thing that really sparked my career. So like, you know, a lot of times when we get rejected from a job or like something doesn't work out, relationship doesn't work out, we think it's like the worst thing in the world. But then when you kind of look back at how it's like supposed to play out, it, it, it feels a lot different. And I always tell people like when you're going through it, like you're not going to be like, well, you know, it's okay. Like, 
it's, it's going to be hard, you know, but mm-hmm. then I think from that, you know, it, you looking back, it could possibly be the best thing that's happened to you. I think that I'm not totally over certain things that I've been through yet. So like the level that I'm at is just calling it important. Um, like it's important that that happened, but at some point I'll, I'll probably say, thank God that that happened. That's so good that that happened, even though it sucked. Yeah. Important is a great word for it. <laughs> like this is something that is going to be important in my life later on. Yeah. Can you tell me about the oil painting part of your life? It's, it's a, it's a love of my life for sure. I remember mm-hmm. like when I wanted to go deep in oil painting was uh in a um art history class and you know we were kind of going through if anyone's gone through art history classes you know you start with the ancient to medieval art so it's like you know the greco-roman stuff and then like for me the moment was when we started studying like baroque painting and i i vividly remember the painting that i was so enamored by and it was um the conversion of saint paul by caravaggio uh which i don't know if you're familiar with caravaggio he's like uh very um known for like really these dramatic compositions you know because like everything in renaissance was like i'm gonna be super vertical and balanced and everything has this like scientific order to it and then, like, Caravaggio is just like a Quentin Tarantino movie, right? Where it's just like <laughs> hyperviolence, a lot of things going on. So, like, oh my God, I feel like just even doing diagonals was like really controversial and like broke is like, you know, like, oh my God, look at these like diagonal poses. And I think when I saw that Caravaggio painting, I was just like, man, this is like, like oil painting's really cool. It's so dynamic and expressive. So, you know, when I started studying, um, painting that's where I was really drawn to to figure painting and kind of looking at the more like um you know the old masters as they call them like uh you know Caravaggio is one of my favorites uh, you know Peter Paul Rubens Raphael and loved a lot of their drawings too so then yeah I spent most of my time like um yeah painting people I I took a AP uh, art history in high school and um, I, it was such a hard class. It was all like memorizing years and dispelling of names and things like that. But the thing that I loved the most about that class is like, as after one point, I kind of realized that I was going to pass the class with a C. Um, and so I kind of checked out mentally. And so while my professor was talking uh, and, and talking about all these different things, I was really invested in the class, but I was just like sketching the, the the paintings and things like that so i have all of these old sketchbooks of just like yeah like the broke period of like all of these different like beautiful paintings um and i i think that like i got a lot out of that class even though i didn't pass it with with flying colors um <laughs> but yeah i don't know there, there's something yeah, something so romantic and, and beautiful about about really really great works of art in history Yeah, it's interesting because I feel like a lot of things in art history is human history, and that's so important. And I think, of course, you know, like they say, like history is written by the winners, and I think there's certain truths to that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I took art history, it's like I learned so much about, like, 
like the Reformation and Counter Reformation and like all this stuff around like like I learned more culturally about what was going on in history and like how art like expressed it just as much as the art itself. And I think uh, you know, when I look back at my um my curriculum, it was wild to me because at the time I didn't think about it, but I was just like, oh my God, it took I took three years of like European art history and like uh like ancient Greece and and all that <laughs> and I think I think like they offered two classes on like you know Asian art history and like African and oceanic art it was just like and I was just kind of realizing like you know now that I'm older I was just like there's so much design that like I'm just getting caught up on just because of like what what I studied in school right I was just like oh my goodness there's like so much stuff that I'm still willing to uh, still needing to learn in a lot of ways so it's really like eye-opening oh for sure yeah there i think uh growing up um sometimes you realize all the things that you weren't taught in school um and like even like parts of history uh i would, I would talk to some of my my friends from other countries and they're like did you even learn about this part of history or like did you learn about my country at all and i just kind of look at them shyly i'm like not really <laughs> um i'm sorry <laughs> but it wasn't really your choice what the curriculum was um it's just you realize afterwards like oh wow i wasn't really exposed to that was i i mean that's so true right and it's yeah just like when you have that realization and you realize like how much you need to like i'm gonna say relearn you know as a part of that because how many of us grew up thinking like thanksgiving was like this really super happy dinner that like people had right or it's like wow that was definitely not what happened or just even like you know learning you know other things in the world and I think again this is kind of what I was saying earlier when you were asking me about this you know and I said it was kind of a loaded question it's just kind of like even understanding like you know what my parents went through politically in Vietnam and like it wasn't when until like um you know, I was in, I, I, after college, I lived in Europe for about like a year and I was in, I was in Paris and I met a Vietnamese person who was kind of pro-communism. And when I told my parents' story, she was just like, you know, it was a completely different perspective, right? Or it's just kind of like these sort of like um, things that you make these assumptions of because of your upbringing. I remember like, you know, when I was living in Europe, I met a friend um, because I I spent a little bit of time in Poland and, you know, he kind of had the same like sentiment, like I'm paraphrasing, not speaking for him, but, you know, he was kind of saying like, you know, he's like, wow, I grew up kind of like from my parents. It's like, you, you should not like be friends with Russians, right? Because of like the political climate. And then you realize like, and I think that was like a big thing, what the internet did for a lot of people is you were able to connect with like other places in the world and like really find out like other information to, again, relearn some of the things that you grew up learning, right? To be like, wow, there's more to the story and there's other perspectives that we were not taught. Like, how do I just really, you know, really take time to learn that? So that was the thing for me with like, you know, African art, um, like, uh, you know, there, there's, I just found out from a friend, like, there's actually, like, a lot of, like, like, Vietnamese typography and, like, a great history of that that I just did not know of, right? So there's just so much we, like, 
still need to learn. And I think, again, you know, when we kind of look at those upbringings, it's just kind of figuring out like, you know, what, what else is there? Like, what else is there that we didn't learn? I'm thinking about um, like the way that, like the family dynamic that I grew up in and then think about the family dynamic that you grew up in. And so like, for me, culturally, my mom, my dad, and my sisters and I, we were kind of like all on the same playing field of, we kind of all knew the same amount about like our family culture, like the various European countries that my family is, I'm a mix of. Um, And so like we were all kind of like on the same page. But when I think about you, I think about you were the one that was born here. And I mean, your, your brother, his whole like conscious memory was here as well. But like, just, just the fact that your parents had a whole other life that you can't really fully understand because you didn't experience it yourself. I can imagine that, um, that's interesting, at least. Do you understand the way that I'm saying this? Let me share this and see if it resonates. I think for me, um, my upbringing has always been this identity crisis, right? Because I think there's a part of like my life and my family history, which is like ingrained in like Vietnamese culture while growing up in uh, American culture too. So it's kind of like growing up in like a blend of a lot of things. So, you know, I grew up bilingual, right? So it's like, remember talking to my aunt and, you know, a lot of times we'll talk and speak to each other in English, but we switch to Vietnamese like mid sentence too. And, you know, at home I would speak with my parents in Vietnamese, but then speak English at school. And it was always been this challenge of balancing and just like identifying like, where am I from is such a loaded question, you know? And I remember when people would ask me like, where are you from? It's like, I just like had no idea how to answer that because I was like, well, you know, I was born here, you know, and I think, um, you know, but there's so much of like my family history that I'm the older I get, the more I'm learning how important it is to like remember that and like hang on to that too. So it's been like an amalgam of both worlds and yeah, it's been kind of like just, just a blend of it. What was that like? You know, I thought growing up, it was hard, but mm-hmm. I think now it's like, you know, I'm very grateful for it. Um, and I remember growing up, like, you know, the city I grew up in was like very Caucasian, right? So like the Asians and we knew all the Asians uh, and um, yeah, basically <laughs> Uh, like no, without, I'm not joking. Yeah, we, we knew all of them. You know, a lot of them went to, uh, you know, went to church with us and and other things too. But I think like, um, you know, it's just funny. It's just like I think there are little things where I feel like childhood is so hard for people. It's just like what people go through, and it just be like little things, right? Like I remember. Um, you know, having friends over and like my parents would cook rice and they'd be like, well, God, like your house smells funny with the rice. And it's like, and I used to be like embarrassed by that. And then I'm just like, now it's like, no, no big deal. And, you know, now mm. I'm kind of finding like people who kind of had similar upbringings where we kind of like joke about that too. But I think it really was 
this blessing in disguise where like I grew up with like the traditions and things that are like really important to my family and also like growing up in this new world too. So I'm kind of learning like these are the things that are good from it. These are the things that could be improved or are not great about these cultures too, to really kind of learn from that and like uh, be my own person. But yeah, it's something where, um, you know, the fact that, um, you know, I can still speak the native language and be able to share that with people. Like it was something I didn't realize how special it was till like, um, you know, till I was much older. I'm curious. Um, Sometimes when I, when I talk to people, they say, oh, there's this phrase that I want to use and there's like no real good translation in English. Like it's a sentiment. It's like the perfect phrase. It's the perfect word that I want to use. But like, I just don't have it in English. You guys just don't, you don't have an idiom like this. Did you ever have little moments like that of like, I don't know. I feel like there's, there's certain things that when I was learning French, for example, I was like, oh, well, how do we say this in French? Like, well, you can say it, but it's like very modified and I don't know, it's not the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of that. And I think um, that's the thing that's interesting about language, right? It's just like, there's such an expression that's like held within these words that it's hard, right? Because it's like, yeah, like I'm sure whatever that French expression was, it's like, there's really no like precise way to like articulate that, that, that feeling. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the Vietnamese ones that come to mind. Um, the only one I can think of is just like, I've never heard this idiom in the United States, but like, I think they say this a lot, like um, in Vietnamese culture where uh, I remember my mom saying this when I took my passport photo, cause you know, you're not supposed to smile in your passport photo. And like, it's, it, it sounds so much funnier in Vietnamese, mm-hmm. but like, it basically like translates to like, your like, um, you know, like y- your, your face is as cold as money, which like the intention is like, you look like you're on a like piece of currency. So like, if someone's like not having a good time, like you're going out with friends and you're just kind of like, you know, maybe just <laughs> kind of a downer, you would say something like that. But yeah, I think there's a lot of words where it's like, you know, I'll, I'll say an expression to a friend and like someone will ask me like, you know, in English, like, what does that mean? I'm like, there's really no, there's no word for it, you know? Yeah. We got one more question about language because I think it's it's fascinating. Do you feel like it's like switching gears going between or are you kind of thinking both at the same time because when i speak to my friends who speak spanish uh they're like oh i can experience both at the same time like i can talk in spanglish but then when i talk to my friends from eastern europe um they're like i just like changing gears um like i'm either fully in english or fully in this other language there's i can't experience both at the same time yeah you know it's funny it's like someone wants to ask me like what language do you think in yeah, interesting. And I was like, yeah, but I think it's honestly just based on the one that's kind of like on my mind, but it is a pretty seamless transition because like if I'm with my parents, I'm probably thinking Vietnamese, right? If I'm with my brother, my 
Daniel and I, we, we speak English to each other mainly, but we can speak Vietnamese to each other. It's probably thinking a little bit of both, right? So it is kind of like a stream of consciousness where it's just kind of like like light and dark mode, I guess. When you <laughs> just, just flip it. But yeah, I, I don't think about it. It's just like, you know, like if someone was like, you know, thinking Vietnamese, like, like everything you're saying to me, I'm probably like translating it now. But mm-hmm. if it's just kind of like thinking English, like that's that's kind of the stream of consciousness I have. Yeah, that makes sense. I want to know um, uh, that that trip that you took to to Europe, or like the, your your life in Europe for a while, um, was that immediately after after college, after your bachelor's? Uh, it was years later. So, years later, you know. Yeah, I did a couple years freelancing. Um, you know, I worked at a um, you know my first tech job. Um, just a SaaS company based in Indianapolis. I was there for like a year and a half. And then when I left, I knew I wanted to do a little bit of a break and travel because, um, you know, in college, I went to Italy and France for, for a good trip. It was only like a week long, but I, you know, because of my art history background, I'm like, you know, I want to go check out these Gothic cathedrals or I want to like see these, Painting. So I knew I wanted to go back to Europe. And, um, you know, what I did was, uh, you know, I quit my job and I was like, okay, I'm going to freelance and just travel and work remotely. This was like early 2010s. And um, what I did was I spun a globe and it was basically like, okay, whatever country like I point to, I'm going to, I'm going to start there. And spun the globe, and then it went to um, Croatia. Really? So yeah, so I flew to Zagreb and like spent some time in Croatia. But in a series of events, uh, you know, ended up in uh, in France, in in Paris mainly to kind of stay there for a while. Um, and again, I got to look up. I'm so bad with dates, but it was like. You know, at that time, I didn't know anyone. I was like staying at hostels in Croatia, and I was like, I don't know anyone in Paris. Um, a friend of mine was like, "Hey, there's this new site that you could check out. Like, it's pretty new. I don't know. I've never used it before, but it's called Airbnb. You should try it out and see if you can find like you know a place in Paris. And then, uh, you know." booked a place for a week um, uh, to stay at this person's flat. Uh, and, uh, you know, after that became friends and just kind of like found, found my own place uh, and was just there for, I'd say it's between like nine to 12 months. I, my, I can't remember, but it was basically between Paris and, and Barcelona spent, spent a lot of time in, in those two cities. What is it like living in Paris at that time? It's, it was great. Um, I think you learn to be very minimal because like you basically live in a box (laughs) and you know, your bedroom is your kitchen and your living room. And like, fortunately you have a bathroom that's separate, but you know, very modest. Like I just had my, um, basically my, my laptop and just some, some clothes um there but um it was great the worst thing ever though is um 
I would wake up at like 5 a.m. or maybe 4.30 because um, you would get the the bread trucks that kind of bring the bread to make the baguettes in the morning, like backing up on these cobblestone roads, and it would just oh. sound like an earthquake. And I was like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> Oh my goodness. So I've, I've been an early bird since then. I can still hear those uh, <laughs> cobblestones rumbling. <laughs> and like for months. Oh yeah. Months. Like every day. <laughs> so it's like clockwork. Oh my God. It's like, even if you were like, Oh, like I'm going to go out with my friends and then I'll just sleep in in the morning. It'll be fine. Nope. No way you can sleep through <laughs> it. <laughs> I guarantee you. Oh my God. And so, yeah, so it, it was, um, uh, Zagreb and then Paris and then Barcelona. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. How old were you at that time? I'm guessing tw- 25, 24? I think 25. Yeah. I was yeah. in the mid 20s. Yeah. Is that, um, is that a scary thing to do by yourself? No. No. No, it wasn't. It wasn't scary. Not yeah, even at I the time? Th- I, I had to think about that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it sounds scary. But I think, again, just kind of going back to, like, man, imagine what my parents were doing at 25. Much yeah. different, right? So I was just like, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? Like, I'm, you know, if I do this thing and it doesn't work out, I have to, the worst thing that could happen is, like, I have to move back to my parents, which would suck. <laughs> but it's stable ground. Mm-hmm. And I could find a job. So I was just like, why not do it? No, but I think, um, you know, and that's the thing is like, there's been very few things I felt scared to do mm-hmm. because I, I just think it's going to work out somehow or it's mm-hmm. just kind of part of the journey. But yeah, I think, um, yeah, it just felt right. I was like, you know, I want to, I want to explore more of the world. I spent most my, at that point, my entire life in Washington State, like growing up in Longview and, you know, where I went to school in uh, in Seattle. And it's like I wanted something, something different. So the you before moving to Europe and the you coming back to America, were those two different people, do you think? Do you think that you grew a lot while you were there? Yeah. I think between... My time in Europe, and then I'll fast forward a little bit. Like mm-hmm. a- after I moved back to Seattle, I just felt like it didn't feel like home anymore in terms of what I was seeking. And I actually uh, lived in moved to New York City. Mm-hmm. I moved to New York and lived there for five years. And I would say the person who I am, like the David who lived in Europe in New York like those experiences definitely changed like how I saw the world and kind of the type of person that, um, that I was for sure. Yeah. Was it, um, were there growing pains in those, those different experiences or was it more, more just like being exposed to something and then, uh, accepting this new thought or new idea with open arms? Cause there's two different ways of going about it. There's growing pains, and then there's like, oh, that's interesting. That's added to my my toolkit of knowledge. <laughs> yeah, definitely growing pains for sure. And it's yeah. funny. It's like, you know, it's it's interesting. Like, this is not a comparison to what my parents went through. But again, it's kind of like, 
it doesn't need to be right. But I do think when I was in Europe and I was in New York, like I always grew up in a place where my parents were like a few hours away and being in New York, it was like a few hours to even fly there. Right. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And I know you, know, you, you grew up in the East coast. So like New York is not, it's not an easy place, right? Mm. It's a it's a great place, but it's not an easy place. And I think my my biggest rock bottom moment was trying to like buy a mattress and go to the IKEA in uh, Red Hook in New York to like get it like to my apartment. And just having to do that by myself was kind of like, oh my goodness, this is like this is my version of the new world, right? Mm. Like a world where. I'm relying just on me and I can't fall back on my parents uh, as much as I did before. And it's not just your parents though, because you also had a lot of family nearby. Yeah. So, you know, my brother was still in Seattle and like, you know, he he had some time in California too. So I was the only person I knew on the East coast. Yeah. That's, that's tough. I think the community is so important. Yeah, definitely. And it's so hard to, like, cultivate that. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that as somebody that is not from New York and then you move to New York, I'm sure all these people in your life are like, what's it like living in New York? Like, what is it like having this new experience? Did people ask you that question often? And if they did, what did you say? Yeah, they did. Um I don't know. It's it's interesting. I feel like um, it's funny. It's like I will run into like people who live in, you know, I'm in Southern California now, but even when I was in San Francisco and when you meet New Yorkers or like other people who lived in New York, you have that like instant connection. And all you do is just like, I was like, I almost wanted to organize like a meetup for like people who used to live in New York and miss New York. Right. And I'm sure we were like, so annoying to our friends and just talk about like, you know, these are the things that like <laughs> we miss about New York. It's like, Oh my God, can you believe like people on the West coast, like don't fold their pizza? Like, like so weird, you know? And I think it was just kind of this thing where it's just like, just really kind of getting sense of, of and I think New York's such a, it's such an older city compared to like the entire West coast. Right. Like mm. maybe like, or, you know, San Francisco and some of these places, but just like really kind of getting a sense of that. And I think it was just kind of like, uh, you know, until like my friends would go experience New York from themselves, they're just like, oh my goodness, it's like so tired of hearing <laughs> you talk about this, like how much you missed New York. And then you realize there's like, you know, so small things that, that, that you miss, like the, you know, it's not the, um, it's not going to the Empire State Building, like for sure. It's not going to Times Square, you know. Yeah. But it's kind of like you know the, um, yeah, seeing people fold their pizza or you know the thing. I, I I tell people a lot about New York is like people there are very like they care a lot, right? They might not come off as nice, and I think uh, you know growing up in the West Coast, everyone's supposed to be like polite and nice, so mm-hmm. they always think like New Yorkers are rude. But I always remember like if you're walking down the street and like someone like falls or like something happens, you see everyone around like them, like just help them up 
or they kind of look out for each other. Right. And I think that was kind of like the way I found community in New York was just like, I eventually felt I was kind of lonely at first, but then I felt like alone, but I wasn't lonely because you kind of knew like a lot of people like throughout New York city, like the people who, you know, not the native New Yorkers, but people who moved there, like you almost have to rely on the community as strangers to get Mm -hmm. through. And there was something really special about that. That's like, Hey, like, I don't know anyone, but like, if I need something, like someone's going to be around, someone's going to help too. That was such a different way of community that I kind of understood. Yeah. It's not, it's not a person that knows you. It's not a cousin. It's not, I don't know. Yeah. It's different. Yeah. Yeah. I remember being told this, that, uh, People from the East Coast are nice, are, are kind, but not nice. And uh, if you were to be pulled over, if you were to be on the side of the road with a flat tire and an East Coast guy came up uh, to help you out, um, he'll help you change your tire, but he's going to be insulting you the entire time. Like, oh, you think you know how to change a tire? No, no, no. Let me do it for you. Like, you don't even know. You're not doing it right. Oh, yeah. No, <laughs> and I'm like, that. that's so accurate. <laughs> It's so, so accurate, so spot on. Like, yeah, yeah, I can't believe you got yourself into this, but I'm going to get you out of it, right? That was exactly. Like the, the, the sentiment of that, too. Yeah, I think that was the thing I learned about New York and, and also in Paris, too. It's just kind of like, um, I think the way one emotes and, like, kind of shares emotion is, like, I think the authenticity of it is really important to me, right? Because I always remember, like, um, I would go to this cafe in Paris and, like, I would talk to the barista or say something, try to make a joke, and she would never laugh. And then there was one time, <laughs> I can't remember what I even said, but, like, it, like, really got her, and you just heard her, like, crack up, and it was just, like, that was the payoff, right? I would rather take that any day than like just some inauthentic laugh or something like that. And yeah, I think that's so spot on with like East coasters. It's like the the kindest people, like, you know, you're going to be taken care of, but you know, you're going to like, you're going to hear about it too. Yeah. I so yeah, I, I live in um Philly right now. And so I've lived my whole life in Pennsylvania. Um, and so uh, I thought I was pretty like North and East Coast, and then I went to Boston recently, and I felt like Southerner. (laughs) Like, I could just, I don't know how to describe it, but, like, being up in Boston specifically, it's just the whole vibe is different. Like, I don't know, it's just, like, very, like, I think cold weather does something to people, I think, in my opinion. (laughs) I'm sure sure people get so offended when I talk about the East Coast, and I just basically (laughs) talk about New York City. (laughs) Yeah, do you want to hear something funny? So I was talking what? to a friend, and it's like, um, we were talking about, like, geography. And I was like, I don't think I could draw, like, the East Coast accurately <laughs> if I if my life depended on it. And she said the same thing about the West Coast. She's like, I know there's, like, like California and, like, you know, <laughs> and there's, like, other places. I don't know where anything is, but I remember I was telling her, I was just like, I have no idea where Maine is like until recently. Right. And I also didn't realize how big Maine is. Cause I, was like, I think it's, I think it's near Rhode Island is probably like twice the size. It turns out it's like bigger than twice the size. It's just, it's just interesting. Just like um, kind of understanding that. But I, I figured like a fun 
icebreaker for adults could be like try and draw like the the United States map and like, how you, <laughs> like from memory and everyone would get such a good laugh. Um, my uh, in college, this is so stupid, but in college, um, my icebreaker going to a school in Philly was um to 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 go up to every person that was from Jersey. And I would ask them if they believed in the concept of uh, North and South Jersey, but like if they believed in the concept of uh, Central Jersey. So this is like, I don't know, you don't have context for this, but like for, for people from Jersey, there's like this whole thing of like whether or not Central Jersey exists. They're like, it's either North Jersey or South Jersey. And um, that's how I, I made friends with so many people. They'll be like, oh, hi, my name's Emily. Where are you from? What's your major? And if they said Jersey, I'd be like, do you believe in Central Jersey? <laughs> Is it almost like, <laughs> like, I feel like there's like New York adjacent Jersey and like Philly adjacent, right? And then, yeah, like, yeah does this Central Jersey exist? Because I think... Uh, is it Camden, New Jersey, where a lot of people are like, they're like, I'm from Philly, but they're actually like from Camden. From yeah. Cherry Hill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, you're not from Philly, you're from Cherry Hill. It's yeah, like a exactly. like a 15 minute drive, but it's not the same thing. <laughs> yeah, 100 percent. It's just like, yeah. <laughs> um yeah, I I had a great experience though of living in New York for um six months. I was there for my first uh, my internship, my junior year of college. The way that I described it to people who uh, would call me or ask me what it was like living there, I would say like three things. I would say, um, I never feel fully clean. (laughs) 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 I always like, like the second I I step out of the shower and put my foot on the ground, I feel like I'm not fully clean anymore. Um, Because the apartment was so small. I had an apartment. It was a one bedroom apartment. And then they like renovated it a little bit with those like temporary walls and those the, the walls that go, don't go to the ceiling and then the doors that like slide open, they don't like open with a hinge. It just slid open. And uh, uh, it was myself and three other people in a one bedroom apartment. We lived on um water and Fulton. Oh yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so, yeah, I was, I was down there. I said, it, it was never felt fully clean. I also said, um, I, I don't get direct sunlight. <laughs> and um but the nice thing about all of that was like anytime i listened to something on like a podcast or i learned about something interesting um i would just put into google maps of like oh i wonder if there's one in manhattan and then just like i was listening to a podcast about milk bar and i i put in i wonder if there's any milk bars near here um and it said three minute walk (laughs) and i was like that is a cool thing that like any thing that you listen to there's like a location and it's probably like one of the best locations that company has and it's like within you could get there within 30 minutes whether it's subway walking anything i thought it was really really amazing oh man was that the the momofuku milk bar yeah yeah (laughs) i miss that so much yeah that's the thing i was just gonna ask you like what are things you miss about new york if anything but i think like one is for me is like, you know, just being able to wander, right? Like if you want to grab a slice of pizza or you want to get sushi, you just walk, keep walking. You're going to run into something at, at some point too. There's something magical about that. I used to do that on Saturdays where I didn't have anything to do. I would just gear up, uh, bring a water bottle and I would just like, just walk kind of like yeah. aimlessly just to explore different things. And all of a sudden I'm in like Midtown. I'm like, how did I get here? <laughs> 
it's surprisingly so walkable, right? I think because it's flat, you know, that was the thing I really coming from the West coast where everything was on a hill, you know, just like living in a city that's like a grid. It was just so easy to like get to places. Yeah. Yeah. When I talk to people uh, and tell them, um, yeah, in my hometown, you have to drive everywhere. You can't just like not have a car or especially when I talk to like Europeans, I'm like, yeah, in my hometown, like you, you needed a car to go anywhere. It was suburbia. Like, what were you going to do? Like walk to the one CVS that was nearby. (laughs) Um, and you know exactly what I'm talking about too, because of the town that you grew up in. Yeah. hundred percent. I think that was something I learned, like coming back from Europe where it's just like, I feel like for Europeans, like, like a three mile kilometer, right? Like a three mile (laughs) walk is like, that's like a quick walk to the grocery store where like we would be driving there, right? Or like, you know, we grew up in towns where you would like drive to the gym to go work out as opposed to like just running or walking there. That is pretty funny. Um, And so like in, let's go in your timeline. um, Yeah. You, 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 you finish up in, in New York and, and where is it for you after that? You come back to the West coast. Yeah. So back to Seattle for a hot minute and then uh, San Francisco. And mm-hmm. I moved to San Francisco when I um, took the job at one medical. Yeah. And that was late 2015. Uh, okay. I decided to move there. So I was kind of going back and forth. There's a lot of like, I go back and forth in, in my life. So it was like between Seattle and San Francisco, but yeah, after like four and a half to five years in New York, a little bit of a break in Seattle just to settle back into the West Coast, I, I moved to San Francisco. Yeah. Was that, was that that different for you? Was that like a new experience or I feel like you've, you had so many other experiences that you're kind of like, okay, this is just the same, same thing, different font. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a, that's a great analogy. I, I Seattleites are gonna like hate me for saying this, but like, you know, Seattle's kind of San Francisco Junior, and mm-hmm. it wasn't that it wasn't that big of a change. You know, I think it was just like more things, and yeah, that was basically it. But it wasn't like a culture shock. Like, whereas like New York was like a big change. Like San Francisco, like you said, it's just like a like a like a font family or like a like a weight change. It was just like it was more familiar. Yeah. yeah, I I went to San Francisco for the first time in November. That was the first time was that ever. Your first time ever being to California, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I've never been to the the West Coast before. I'm very much an East Coast girl. I went to Europe before I went to the West Coast. Wow. What 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 do you think? I thought it was it was really nice. Um. Uh, I I don't know. Nobody came up to me or bothered me, so knock on wood, I was okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was it was really great. Like it, it was very walkable. Um, uh, it was really cool because when I went to to Webflow conference, like all of my friends were within were within a five minute, ten minute walk of me. So for me, I was kind of like in la la land um, because like all my friends are here. I get to hang out with people, and then there's like social stuff all the time. Um, so I had a very different perspective than somebody actually living there, but I had a great time and, and flying over the country was never something that I've done. Um, just seeing how the country 
looks and, and it was um it was daytime when I was flying. So I was just glued to the the window the whole time. <laughs> it's amazing. Um one of the things I want to do at some point in my life is to take the train uh across the country. The the Zephyr? Zephyr? I think so. Yeah. It's the yeah, train I'll take, yeah. 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 That's very cool. And then you have the bed on the the train yeah. and it's like multi-day. Oh, yeah. I've seen a lot yeah. of YouTube videos about that. You totally should do that. That would be very yeah. cool. I'd love to do that someday. That's interesting. Yeah, I don't know. There, I feel like there's so many places that you've been that I would love to go someday. Um, but yeah, that train thing. Um, I, I during COVID, I was watching all of these um uh travel videos about all of these different places I wanted to go to because I couldn't go anywhere. Um, and so I don't know. I have a whole bunch of places in my my uh backlog of places I would love to go. Where where I know this is your podcast, but where would you go next? <laughs> I'm pretty sure that in in May I'm gonna be going to uh Amsterdam. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, I've never been I've never really been to Western Europe. I I went to Italy, um, so there's there's that, but I haven't been to um like further up there. So yeah, Amsterdam is is next, and then after that, I was thinking about going um somewhere for a month, um and and doing a remote work trip, and so that's really exciting. I have to sort the plans out for that, but I was thinking maybe the maybe in September. It's amazing. <laughs> I feel like. There's so many people from Webflow Comp where I just like want to do a world tour and just hang out with everyone. You yeah. know, like I want to go to Greece. I want to go to, yeah, go. I've been to Amsterdam. It's awesome. You'll, yeah. you'll love it. And then, yeah, just like I was thinking of maybe going to like Berlin this year. Um, like I feel like the two cities I try to go to to get inspiration are like Tokyo and Berlin. Mm, I've never been to Tokyo oh, or Berlin. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I've been to the Frankfurt airport. That doesn't count. It's cool, but not as cool. <laughs> a two-hour layover. So yeah, yeah. They're on a technicality. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Now that that um we talked about about your life and, and childhood and and all the years leading up to to at least um the job before Webflow. Um, what are you thinking about just like reflecting on all of that? Oh man, I think, um, you know, I think there's a lot that, that comes to mind, but I think the first thing is just like, um, gratitude. There's a lot of gratitude of just like, what I'm doing now, what I've been able to do before and like, you know, what I can do next. Like there's just a lot to be grateful for, you know, and I think to be able to have a job where like design creativity and still doing a lot of drawing in it today was just something like, I think me as a kid would not fathom that it's something you could do. Mm -hmm. And I think, uh, you know, the other thing too is like, you know, I talked to a lot of people about their careers and trying to figure it out too. And I think a lot of it is like really trying not to rush into it, but like, again, just kind of 
in the spirit of uh, the the creative act, just like how do you kind of be a beacon to that, like just more creative and serendipitous moments? And I think like, you know, a lot of these things wouldn't happen if I was just okay to just like be and just continue exploring things too. So yeah, I think just a lot of uh, gratitude that I've been, been able to do some of this stuff. And have a bunch of different life experiences that I'd say a lot of Americans don't get to experience. I, do you know that only um, uh, a third of Americans have passports? Oh, I believe that. Yeah. 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 I think a lot of it's just kind of like, you know, I think there's two things that you can really expand your horizon as a human being. I think one is reading Mm -hmm. and the other is traveling, right? Both kind of like transport you to different worlds and different perspectives in their own way. And I love doing both, you know, and I think for me, it's just been able to really um, just gain more perspectives. And like, you know, I think um, the more you learn, the more it opens up the world of like what is possible too. And I think so much of what we grow with, like how we grow up, understandably, is like so contained to a specific thing. Like how do we like, um, you know, my friend Kevin often says just like, how do you have an open aperture to like things in life, Mm. things in like you're exploring just to see like what it could become too. And I think sometimes we're so like caught in the haste of like, I got to figure this out. I need to be at this point in my career. And I think really what's important is like playing and exploring. And a lot of times the things you want to do really reveal itself. I think that, yeah, just being open to like receiving fun experiences or, or, or being open to all of these things, because if you're so closed off, um, and you're not open to um, people inviting you to something or going and, and taking a leap of faith or something like that. Um, you just have a totally different life experience. It's not good or bad. It's just different. Yeah. No, 100%. Yeah. I think something that's um, uh, important that I'd like to ask you is uh, the, the you that you were um, when you were having that conversation with your brother about grad school. And then the decision not to do that. And you were really bummed out and you kind of had this idea of where you wanted your career to go. Um, if you were to be able to like have dinner or go to coffee with that version of yourself, almost as if they were a different person. And then you were able to have a conversation just to say like where you are now and, and what your life is like and the different experiences that you've had, not that to change anything, but how do you think that conversation would go in, in telling him about his, how his life unfolded? I think it would be, I think he would be really surprised. Yeah. You know, because I think he was a person where from the moment he was born thought like a specific thing, there was a specific thing he wanted to be in like making art and creating and maybe didn't even realize like some of these things in life kind of like can evolve and transform that. Uh, And yeah, I think 
I think that would be kind of like the surprising aspect of it, right? And and I think to kind of understand that um, you can find your own path to it. And I think about this a lot where it's like, you know, people who may not come from kind of like in quotes, right? Like a traditional design background and people there's, you can get to certain things you want to do in life based on different paths. There's no like one path. It's very nonlinear. It's very much a journey. Right? And I think, um, I think a lot about some of these other things, um, you know, that, that we didn't really like touch on too deep, but just like, mm-hmm. you know, like if I, didn't travel and kind of start my own company, like, you know, would I have been interested in entrepreneurship or would I have like wanted to pursue a different path if I didn't move to San Francisco and like kind of start working at some of the tech companies, you know, what would that path look like? And, and there's just so many like, what ifs, you know? And I think, uh, and I think what's important is to like, be open to it and like, you know, pick a path that you're just exploring and going to, right. You can always change your mind and always do something different. Uh, yeah. And don't, don't be too rigid about how you get there. Right. Cause you might surprise, like you might be surprised where you end up. Mm-hmm. And, and even where you are now, you're not done. You're not done evolving and growing as a person. Not at all. You know, yeah. it's funny. It's like, I'm, I'm almost like, almost like 20 years in my career and still feel like I'm just getting started in a lot of ways. And that's so exciting, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think just to even think about like what the next chapter could hold too. And there's probably so many like unexpected journeys from that. That's like really exciting. And I think that's how like, you know, you can kind of stay fresh and kind of relevant in this business too. And I think, you know, I am kind of fortunate where, um, you know, you can find something that you can make a living out of that also brings you like joy and, and purpose too. And it kind of combines all three. So I think when you can find that you can, you can do this for a very long time, right? Probably for your entire lifetime. Mm-hmm. It's about, yeah, it's about like being sustainable. Yeah, for sure. Um, one one thing I want to to end on that just when you were saying that really reminded me. Um, I was talking with somebody recently, and they said, you know, um, uh, my mother told me since I was like a very little kid, like I've always kind of like been the same person. Like my personality hasn't really changed. I've like consistently always been the same person. And uh, I paused and I thought about that for a bit, and I said, I am completely different than than who I used to be at all of these different times like almost as if like who was that girl who her opinions were different like the way that she viewed the world was different it's almost like I was a totally different person and I was saying to them um a bit more like who I am now is not going to be who I'm going to be years from now and just just accepting that and being open to that and leaving room for her whoever she's going to evolve into um, I think that that just gave me a lot of like peace and relaxation of like, Hey, it's okay that you're, you're changing and going through all these different 
um, uh, stops along the way in all these different chapters. It's like part of the thing. And so for some people, it's totally comfortable to be like, I've always been the same person. I will always be this person. Um, and that's fine. But, but for me, I, um, leaving room for that, uh, gives me, um, I don't know, some sort of like good feeling. What, what about you? Yeah, I agree. I think for me, it's like, you know, it's like that famous Steve Jobs quote, right? Where it's like, you can only kind of connect the dots when you look back. And I think, uh, when, whether it's looking back or reversing engineering, anything, I agree with you. I think one thing I would add is like, I think the many different versions of myself that I've shared with you in this time together probably has like underlying foundations that stay the same, right? Mm -hmm. Or it's important. Like these are the things I believe. These are the things that are important to my life. And I think like, you know, each version that I described to you, like there was a sense of curiosity. There was a sense of exploration and finding purpose and like connecting with people. And I think that's the thing is like to kind of find out like, what are the things that kind of help you create purpose in your life, but then being adaptable and evolving in this world too. So you're not too rigid about it, right? The things maybe I grew up believing or the things that I wanted to be have evolved, but they all kind of come from this like foundation of like, what, what is it? How do you want to live, you know, in your time here? And I think that I find some, um, I find a lot of comfort in that just to be like, okay, you know, these are the things that will remain the same in different ways that will evolve. And I'm so excited to see where it takes me. Sounds like having a, like a healthy sense of self, but being open to new things and new experiences. Yep. Yeah. So well said. I think that's a perfect note to end on. We just did two hours. <laughs> That just flew by. That was great. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for spending time with me. Like it's, it was, I, I love these so much and I don't get to do them without you. So honestly, thank you so much for giving me two hours of your time. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. And again, you know, I'm sure a lot of people will say this to you. It's just like, it's just been so awesome to hear these really human conversations. And I think what you're doing here is like very special. So hope you get to, you know, have more time to, to do more of these too. Thank you. If, um, uh, I want to also ask if somebody is listening to this and like, it really resonates with them or they really want to talk to you about, about something that you said, or, uh, I don't know, they're like really interested in you and they want to reach out to you. Uh, how would they do that if you are open to that? Yeah, I mean, uh, Twitter's an interesting place right now, but I'm still on there. <laughs> my handle's just my name. It's David Hong. And, uh, you know, my my website, uh, obviously built in Webflow, is uh, <laughs> just davidhong.com. And, you know, but yeah, I, I can't, you know, I try to, try to, I read everything. I try to, you know, respond to everyone. But I think, um, you know, yeah, like, please, please reach out. would love to connect. Absolutely. Well, David, thank you for everything. And I just hope this is goodbye until next time. Until next time. I <laughs> well, hope you get to visit the West Coast soon. <laughs> I'd love that.